Book Club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crack. This is episode number 42, and our book is The Infinite and the Divine by Robert Rath. We posted several com- questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning. If you haven't yet read this book, stop immediately and go do the thing. You will thank us. But then come back to this episode as we're going to be discussing the book from start to finish in great detail. And I know we say this quite a bit, but I feel like especially with this book, you will be doing yourself a great disservice if you listen to spoilers before reading it. Oh, because... Yes, hands down. Oh my gosh. So, how much did you love this book? (laughs) Well... First of all, uh, two miracles happened with this book. One, <laughs> Robert Rath got me to care about the Necrons. Because, <laughs> I mean, I did not want to read this. I had zero interest in the Necrons, uh, especially after reading in, uh, Indominus. Is that what it was? Yeah, Indominus. And I, don't, I just don't really care about the, a lot of the alien races, except for the orcs, because they're funny. So, all right. So kudos to Robert Rath for making me enjoy this. And secondly, the other miracle is, I don't know what's going to be my top book of the year because suddenly I have three contenders. It's Sanguinola time. Miracle. Oh, no. Same. Same, same, same. So I've always really liked, to be fair, I've always really liked the Necrons. In theory, I have really liked the Necrons. And I think I even said to you when we chose this book that because it featured Oregon and because it featured Trazen, We needed to read it because the Necrons are becoming such a big player in the Warhammer 40k universe right now. Mm -hmm. But but this was like going to be my last chance book where I was like, let's give the Necrons one more chance. And if they still suck, we're not going to read anymore. Um, Similarly, going into this podcast, I because, you know, we're going to do our books of the year awards at the end of the year like we did last year. And I was going into it firmly convinced I knew what my top two books were. Well, that went out the window. Mm-hmm. This book, I don't think I have laughed this hard in a book in a very long time. This book is genuinely funny, but also it's funny, but not like in Brutal Cunning, where it's supposed to just be like a wild, crazy ride. Like stuff, like major stuff happens in this book, too. And you learn a lot. And yeah. Well, you know, it was kind of like when we read Lords of Silence. We weren't expecting that to be funny either. We weren't really expecting to like that book as much no. as we did. So I think apparently we just don't know what makes a book good or not. Because the guess. ones that we get super excited for, we get kind of disappointed in. It's true. And <laughs> it's true. Unless it's written by Chris Wright or ADB. True. Um, but then, like, the ones that were like, meh. Anyways. <laughs> I guess what we're saying is that maybe we need to be a little more cautiously optimistic in the future with our books. Um, Who knows? Maybe you will like a Blood Angels book. I mean, no, you did like Luther. So, I mean, stranger things have happened. Okay, I can't even argue with that logic. If Gav Thorpe can make me like Luther, it's a sanguinola miracle. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know what? I think it's like the most 2020 thing to happen. Seriously. We both loved a death card book. We both loved Luther. And we both loved a book about the Necrons. Well, we knew that you were going to like Luther. But, like, 2020 for the win. Um, So then yet the other books that we were so excited about, Indominus, 
Donifire. I'm looking directly at you, Avenging Sun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Big tear. Single tear. Shut. Actually, I'll just drink some of my my scotch. Um, actually, it's whiskey. I'm not that classy. Um. So. Or that rich. Let's. Okay. There's also that. <laughs> yes. It. It helps that I know the people who own this distillery. Um, oh. Literally big house dropping. call. <laughs> That's right. Look up Bear Creek if you're ever in Colorado. Um, my point being that these people will literally deliver alcohol to your door because we know them. Bless them. Um, so let's, let's take a minute to just unabashedly fangirl. What parts were the most awesome? I don't know which to choose. I mean... All right, I'm going to start with my little brief mention. And it was on page... 215 and this is so random you guys but i think i've mentioned that i absolutely adore little nuggets of lore dropping and this oh, was yes. the one where he's talking about having a voice string symphonic on the warzone morale tour and how he brings them out every now and then to play and he talks about how he combines them with a bunch of people and a tanith pipe and drum corps as soon as the Tanith got mentioned, my husband and I both were like, oh my gosh! And then we were both like, Trayson would have a Tanith pipe player in his collection. That just, my heart grew three sizes that day. Ah, uh, so, I think the first line that made me laugh out loud was not even actually in the book, it was in one of the little intros from the chapters because those were good too those were excellent this is from uh boss doc big saw oh my gosh yes i'm telling you lads there's nothing better than scrapping with the shiny tins with the scully faces they so fighty and you gets to kill the same ones over and over ever tried that with humies not as fun not as fun i read that I to my husband and he was just like that. okay like fine you're like no this is hysterical <laughs> Yes. Which I can this... see like, man, orcs versus Necrons. That would be amazing to watch. <laughs> Just... And like a good... So I actually joked about it when he got to fight the orcs. I was like, oh, it's Chekhov's orc. <laughs> so... God. You guys, this book... So one of my favorite movies of all time is the Blues Brothers when they're driving through the mall and they're like, this mall's got everything. This book has everything. <laughs> like, well, it has gene stealers. It has tyranids. It has the Necrons. It has orcs. It has Catan. Like, if you can name it or think of it, it is in this book. I mean, book. it spans like, what, 10,000 years? There is, it has, Which is super fun, actually. It has Eldar. Or the oh Eldar. my god. It has dinosaurs that they can ride. I love dinosaurs, so that was particularly fun for me when he was talking about, like, the carnosaurs and stuff. Yeah. Loved it. So, speaking of that, the scene that had... Speaking of that planet, and anyways, that made me think of... Because what I was thinking about is when he realizes that the birds are actually the winged lizards, and he's like, oh, have the mighty have fallen. But in that same scene, this is the one that my husband and I cannot... Like, we, I had to stop reading aloud because we were both just giggling so hard. And it's the scene in which Trazen is explaining the great history of 
the Silver Skull Space Marine chapter coming to fight the orcs. And when Trazen is talking about his statue, he's like, oh, the Inquisition did have to come and reclaim it. And Orican's like, don't you have it? Well, of course. You stole it. It's my statue. And then when he needles Orican, do you have a statue? <laughs> I could not, like, that whole scene was my type of ridiculousness. Really beautifully hysterical. Just the two of them talking was, you know, just amazing in of itself. Oh, uh, their banter was wonderful. What also I really liked was when <laughs> they get called for having a blood feud, like, no duh. You know, back back to a trial and they start accusing him of that and they're both looking at each other like we never tried to hide it. So I'm not oh my sure God. this is like an executable offense. Like, no, it's the murder of, uh, I can't even think his name, but he was like the high, Malka. yeah, he's the high metallurgist. And they both look at each other like, is that you? No, is that you? And they're like, that wasn't us. And they're like, oh, it was one of you. And finally executioner has to come in and go, these guys hate each other. If one of them did it, they would be blaming the other. <laughs> Immediately. Yeah, Orca and Atrazen are both immediately like, yeah. <laughs> I but just. That is. We'll talk about a bit more about that in a second because that whole thing with the metallurgist was very interesting. But <laughs> those scenes. So let me ask you this because mm -hmm. this was hilarious to me, but it took me a second. In the very beginning, when they're having the trial and he goes to the scene and they're like, oh, arrest them both. And Orican's like, Oh, hell. And then it starts the scene over again. I It took me a second. Like, I was reading the chat, the first paragraph when he's like, you know, and of course they're not going to come looking for it. What the hell is going on? And then, of course, you realize, oh, oh, he didn't they get, pulled out a different judge. He didn't get his way. So he didn't get the result he wanted. That was delightful because I think before you really understood Orican's powers and really got to see them, that scene puts you every bit off as Trazen's off, mm -hmm. right? Because even he's like, something's not right here. Well, because he Which, has that time tile attached to him and he starts feeling sick. And he's just like, how am I feeling sick? Because even Orican's confused about why he's right. not feeling well. I loved that. And I did love later it, the scene that you're referring to when they're like, yeah, we got an anonymous tip that you altered the timeline. Like, hmm, I wonder who sent in that anonymous right. tip. That scene was just delightful. And I want to talk more about that one because there was actually some interesting stuff going on in that entire scene. But I did like what Orican's like, look, you guys said it was fair game. We're not hiding our blood for you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're just like, they're <laughs> like, and like, we, yeah, we weren't hiding it. We're pretty overt about all of this. Yeah. Much. And okay, how about the end? When Trazen's just like throwing all the labyrinths out? Okay. That made me laugh so hard. It was kind of almost like he's throwing out Pokeballs, you know, but instead That's of Pokeballs. Exactly said. Of po I choose you, orcs. Right. Just as a whole civilization or a whole like part of a battle going on and just you know tossing them out there like i think my favorite was the imperial guard because there was like we have no idea what happened why we're here but then they look at the deceiver and they're like but that's not right <laughs> so they'll still take up arms the against it yeah right i like when they see the necrons and they're like 
Oh, the gene stealers must have gotten to the Mechanicus guys. Totally. Yes. It's like, totally. oh man, how long have y'all been in stasis? And from what time well, it was, period? Well, and the orcs, of course, just come out and are like, yeah. And the Eldari, too, because remember the Farseer comes out and she's like, I told you that this was going to happen. And then she just immediately launches into the fight. Right. Like, it was so funny. I like, loved it. The first thing she says when she wakes up after being in stasis for who knows how long, like, I knew this was going to happen. Love it. That was absolutely amazing. And that scene just continued to get crazier and crazier. Because Orkin's just like, do you, like, we're going to need an army. He's like, oh, I have a few. I have, like, a lot. (laughs) That was hysterical. At first, I got really excited when the guard showed up, though, because I was like, space marines? No, but still funny. Right. (laughs) Muriel guard. That scene was so over the top. You've got, and you could just picture it. Like, it was so well done and so cinematic because you could just picture these, like, the terracotta warriors of Xion versus mm. the Catan Shard versus the Necrons versus the Imperial Guard versus Orcs versus Eldari versus a whole bunch of versions of Trazen. It's kind of like the Battle of the Five Armies. Pretty much. Right? Like, insanity version. <laughs> But as but, you said, it's done like a totally Warhammer Pokemon. 40k style. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, right? I mean, like, every yeah, time he threw, a la- I'm not, I'm not lying. When he threw a labyrinth, when I realized what it was and what happened, then we threw another one. I was like, okay, I'm now got it. The Pokemon, the Pokeball sound in my head from when it launches. Oh, yeah. I actually made that joke that when he threw open his labyrinth, I imagined that it made like the within the little the shaking. I think that would be wonderful. But no, that whole scene, I actually joked about it because like the, the second time he threw out a labyrinth, I was like, I am here for this, as the children would say. So fun. Loved it. Indeed. That was probably, that is probably one of my favorite like crescendo endings to a book mm. in a very long time. Actually, you know what it reminded me of a lot was Shroud of Night. I was about to say because yeah, Shroud of Night. It was just like, it's already here. And we're just going to keep taking it up. Right. <laughs> this one went to 11. I did just think of like another part that I meant to write down that I loved. Because I laughed hmm. really hard. It's still when Trey's and Oricon are going back and forth for who's stealing the Mysterios. And uh, Trey's actually gets the drop on Oricon. He's like, I don't have it. He's like, I know. And just point blank shoots him in the head and leaves. Just <laughs> Yes. But he's like, you can keep it. Yep. Okay. And leaves. Oh my god, it was wonderful. Like, well, I think he made a point. Well, I loved... So let's talk a little bit about Trazen versus Oricon. I, I loved how kind of petty they were. And petulant they were about it. Because there was something really delightful about the idea of this long-lasting, millions of years old feud between them. And they felt like an old married couple. Ah! Oh, they, they were totally uh, Felix and uh, Oscar, Oscar from The Odd Couple. I mean, if they were roommates, that's, <laughs> that's exactly how... That's spaghetti, it's linguine. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, you could absolutely see that con- that exact conversation happening between the two of them. Because, you know, that spaghetti was very... That linguine was very important to a culture at one point. 
Oh yeah, I like, did I, love when Orokin was destroying Jack Lemmon his is, thing. Is Trazen? I mean, hands down. Well, because he's always, I don't know because he's cultured and wants to learn history, whereas Orokin just doesn't give a fuck and just wants to bulldoze through things. So let's talk about that a little bit. So one of them. <laughs> They're an odd couple. One of them's stuck in the past. The other can't stop thinking about the future. Mm. So, obviously, they make a beautiful pairing, right? Because you have one who is pretty much stagnant and one who's constantly trying to change things. Whose philosophy did you like more? Like, who did you find a little more interesting in those terms? I guess for me, it's treason. And that's just, and that's probably because, like, I love history. I love the idea of museums. I may not agree with how he gets his collections. Kind of, you know, a little weird having a little questionable frozen in time. Uh, but, but I still like the idea of, like, you know, wanting to cultivate a culture. Like when he when he does get on Oregon's case for, you know, destroying the Eldar, and Oregon's like, ah, they're a dying race, anyways. Like, yeah, but. They weren't dying on this planet yet. You just kind of hastened it. And because of that, then there was, we left it open for orc invasion. And then the orcs drained the oceans, which I'm like, why would they drain the oceans? For funsies? Like, well, I, I did like it when orc, when the big boss, his quote, when he's like, you need three things. Something to crump. Uh, fungus beer. Yes. And water. Because they have to cool their engines. And their reactors. So that's why they were sucking up the oceans? That's interesting. Because, I mean, I mean talk yeah. about an, another culture that doesn't care what they destroy. What planets, things. And yet, I did like that Trazen recognized that they do have a culture. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's barbaric and coarse, but it is a culture. Yeah, I mean, what he called them. I don't remember what he called them. Like, he, he kept calling, referring to them as fungal. Like, they're not really, like, yes. animals. They're fungus, which, like, well, yeah. They're literally mm -hmm. the fungus among us. Pretty much. The killer shrooms. Mm -hmm. But, so I really liked that. And I really liked how he explained a lot of things. Like, when they were on Serenade, and he was like, look at all their writing. Their writing is based on Eldari runes, and they don't even know it. Right. Which... I thought that was really interesting when he would go into these like little like let me tell you something a little bit about history. But I actually think I gravitated more towards Orican because Trazen was definitely a little more fun because we got to see more of his personality. But Orican it triggered one of like my favorite things. So I am not into astrology and zodiacs and tarot cards and all of that stuff, but I do find it very fascinating. I love the name of stuff. I love the symbolism of it. I love the artwork on a lot of that stuff. So when he would talk about like casting his zodiacs and how every one of his symbols had a, had a name for it, and he talked about all of his divinations, I found it all so fascinating for a couple of reasons. One, because I'm already kind of into that kind of stuff, but also... There's something very interesting to me in this very logical, mathematical, heavily advanced society, but still having very primitive-based magic systems. Like, the fact that all of their magic systems was based off of, like, they were, he was using math and a bunch of other stuff, but ultimately, 
it still boiled down to just being kind of, uh, I don't want to say anything to offend people here, but kind of soft magic. Right. Power of the mind magic. Like, I found that so very interesting for the Necrons, especially Orican. I did find that unique, but the whole idea of using the zodiacs in astrology. Talk about, you know, this lining of the stars. I'm like, okay, I guess I can see how that would line up with math because you, if you want to bring in, you know, astrophysics uh, into it. But my big problem with Orokin was that he was always trying to see into the future so he could make things better. And that's that self-fulfilling prophecy that just, you know, keeps, yes. you know, it's the Ouroboros doesn't matter what you do you try to change the future you're going to inadvertently have that future so that's all i i could i could see it so i was never really team orkin orkin um i mean i liked him a lot probably when they started to work together and i got to know him mm-hmm. a little better um i i enjoy i enjoyed getting to know him but just with his whole idea of seeing to the future i just kind of had a i that that's just one of my big things. Like I, I know it's it's a theme. I'm not going to go against the theme, but but it is something that's like yes, but it's the same theme. Like it never changes. And but Orican, he's like, but I can be the big change. Have I ever told you the definition of insanity? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I liked his thing though because he did have a defined goal like with the harlequins i always found it a little irritatingly cyclical 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 thank you i was about to say cyclical but that wasn't the word i have not had that much to drink um very cyclical where they're just constantly changing stuff but they never really tell you what they're trying to change just something Mm -hmm. right all of their scheming and all of their planning it's always just to change some goal that only they know about or they're Whereas, trying to shuffle people down this path that they think right they need, that they need to go down but even then like they never really explain their end game like we just don't want you to do this well why because and so i liked that Oricon had a very defined goal and his goal i also did like how he kind of starts off as this well, I'm going to better Necron society because we will become energies of or beings of energy and that'll be better for everyone. And then as the book progresses, very slowly it becomes, well, I'm going to become a being of pure energy because then I'll be like a god and I don't really want to be one god amongst many. So it right. really turns from being this like grandiose, I want to save the Necronter to I really just want to make myself badass. Except that when he does achieve it and he comes back to normal and Trazen's there praising him he's like oh my gosh you defeated it this is so great and he was he was like but what about the other ones like oh the deceiver's gone no what about the other one referring to himself so and Trazen's just like oh yes he's gone too and then Orca's like okay great and then collapses to me that whole thing was almost like a part of him is realizing that's not, you know, what a part of me, my subconscious saw was awful. And that's not what I want. I found that interesting because 
I think Wrath did a really good job of tit for tat. They would all they would both make very grand, noble gestures, but then they would both make very selfish gestures. Right. And when Trazen's approaching the tomb and he starts banging down on like trying to kill Orican, and Orican's like, This is not your voice. Right. Oh, because I it got brings chills. out I did too, because it brought that's the moment when you're like Oh God, he's corrupted. It brought out that obsession in him in the worst way possible. Well, because the and whole then thing of what they was, matched it with right, Oregon. With what was in the tomb, I didn't know what was in there exactly. I knew it was not what they thought it was. Um, so let's talk about that really quickly about the tomb's contents. Were you surprised? So let me ask this. What did you think was going to be in the tomb? Because I think we both probably agree we knew it wasn't going to be Nefreth. No, it was... Um, well, so even when Orokin was hearing Vishani, right then I was like, that's some warp thing going on. I, you know, and I know that, you know, they can't really be touched or whatever by the warp. I was like, that's some chaos god. There's something not right Channeling here. that. Like, I knew, I knew that that wasn't that wasn't correct and it became we're gonna talk a lot about her and later. it became more and more apparent as they went on especially when they're about to go actually open the tomb for the first time together and Orican turns to betray Trazen because she says they don't need him anymore well there is no reason why she would say that but he was so right. obsessed with that which is like that's some chaos something and as soon as she called him my equal. Which is right. I mean, just totally placating the ego. It's like, this is something that you see chaos gods do all the time to draw them, draw them in. You know, it's very classic in, in Ravener when the mm -hmm. demon that was taken over um, Carl healed Kara. You know, yeah. and she even told Ravener, well, what demon would heal me? He's like, oh, a very clever, the clever one. kind. And it's that same thing. It's like, this is, you know, we've read our fair share of warp, warp fuckery, I guess, with, you know, the gods coming in and seeing, seeming like this is on the up and up. This is what we really want you to do. But, you know, even before that. And he was hearing those numbers and he was like, what, what is that? And she's like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't focus on that. Don't focus on that. And he's like, but then when he would try to listen to the numbers even harder, he could hear danger. He's like, but it's saying danger. No, no. It's like, don't look at the man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> so I actually was starting to lean toward, I, and again, we'll talk more about Bashani here in a bit because there's a lot to unpack mm -hmm. after the book ends. <laughs> To the credits roll um i actually had a really strong suspicion that it was going to be the silent king's tomb like i oh, okay. thought i was like okay the nephrith is definitely not what they're gonna find but what if they end up waking up the silent king like that would have what if treason's the one who kicks this all thing off because to be fair that would be totally within his idiom when they saw nephrith and they were coming toward it. Like immediately you're sitting there reading the book going, don't, don't, don't. Like I, I've seen this horror movie. <laughs> I was not suspecting. Nobody suspects this deceiver. <laughs> yeah. 
But as soon as it popped up, both my husband were like, and I were like, oh, you bastard. That is that is yeah. totally the thing that you would do. You know, and I was, when he found Orkin, you know, this is thousands of years later, Orkin has dug himself out of the cave-in that uh, Trazen mm-hmm. left him in. Which, to be fair, Orkin had betrayed him, so I could see that Trazen was being a little petty. Kind of left him behind. So the fact, Orkin was crawling after him and going, I will do whatever you say. Like, he even told him, he's like, okay, I will be your servant. Just... I will be your vassal. Just don't open it. Like, okay, something is like... Something is very Something happened like, the whole time. And it's not just for him going crazy of digging himself out for these thousands of years. Like, there was something he figured out when he was there that suddenly suddenly made sense. Yeah, and I actually kind of wanted him to just spit it out, though. I don't think he knew exactly. I, yeah. And that was the thing I was like... I think he knew it was out that it's bad. a warning. Right. But he didn't that, know what it was a warning for. But I did like that Orokin... Oregon of all people was finally like doesn't matter I don't even want to know I have determined that that is dangerous and bad and bad touch and unfortunately we don't want to be with this collector's mentality it's like yes but I have to know what's in there I have to go see what I can use and you know when he sees Nefreth and he's in the flesh like literally in the flesh he's just like oh my gosh I could take this and maybe we could reverse engineer and get us to go back and uh, I was like, I can't, it's not that simple. There's no way this can be that simple. First of all, Games Workshop wouldn't allow that because then they're going to lose money no. on models. I mean, the, let's be real. All right. Let's be very real. The Necrons are never going to go back to be the Necron tier. That's just, that's it. That ship has sailed with the Deceivers. Ark. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I, and I think that was, I think... And I think that Wrath was smart enough to know that everyone was pretty much going to figure out that it couldn't be Nefreth, or that like the legend of Nefreth would be wrong. Right, right. Right. Like that's why I was thinking maybe the Silent King that it was like, okay, you guys had the story so wrong. But right, can we talk about the Deceiver's reveal when he's like, oh yeah, no, I've always been Nefreth. Oh, he's the ultimate Deceiver. Of course, you've always been. And poor little Vishani's parts hanging out in the corner, still projecting out that code to try to keep everybody away. Despite the fact that we get the revelation that we never really knew her, I felt so bad for her. It's like, oh, honey. She was a genius. But at the same time, it was almost like that genius clouded her, which to me is like something a chaos god would do. I mean, let's be real, just totally, you know, would, you know, hide behind that. Uh, Right. I guess what's really interesting. Or a What's really interesting to me was the, honestly, the the flip flop between the two. Because when they first go, we have Orokin betraying Trazen. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, I don't need you anymore. Pretty much going to kill you. We're going to go on this way. And then it, when it gets flipped thousands of years later, now, because Nefreth now sees this is the one that I, that I need, that I need. And so then he kind of turns on, on Orokin. And right. I, I, well, I was getting really upset again. when he was stomping on Orokin. I was like, oh my God, you can't kill him. I was so upset about that as well. I was like, you just, you can't. And I, 
felt so warm and fuzzy when they finally team up together in the end there. When they both kind of realize, okay. We've been played. We've been played. We both have strengths. We both have weaknesses. We need to combine. Mm-hmm. Wonder twins, combine. Except Form that, of god killers. Except that at least not, at least uh, you don't have one that turns into like some form of water. So that's true. But I did, I did love that when Trazen's like, fortunately, we kill gods, right? <laughs> you guys are cold bastards. I mean, it was, and I did. Oh, you know, they were both were, were heart tugs for me because when Orkin turned on Trazen, I was like, no, no, man, no, you guys were working together so well because even Trazen was like we've had a brilliant partnership like what are you doing he's like yeah you guys must be best friends work it out and then in the flip when Trazen's there trying to kill him he's like no 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 you guys are supposed to be best friends you have to work this out exactly you guys were making this work for so long like surely you can keep this working and unfortunately for the two of them they both just have a little bit too big of egos, right? <laughs> to just put it aside. Right. And so let's talk really quickly about Vishani. So what did you make of her? Because we do know that there really were two versions of Vishani. There was still the subconsciousness of her, basically. I don't know how else to describe it. That's trying to warn people. But then there's her voice that the deceiver uses. So, but now it seems like some part of her. Who do you think's talking to Oregon? The deceiver. It can't really be Vishani, right? There, no, there, there, there's no way. The stuff that Vishani was telling him was all going towards a certain goal and like and it was all using Trazen and then we don't need him anymore like even in the beginning it was like using him to get the stuff and then we don't need him and I don't think Vishani but not that we know her except that she was trying to keep Necrons away mm-hmm. you know and imprison this guy for eternity uh, I don't think that would have been something because she wouldn't have held him to investigate and come anyway she wouldn't have helped you know brought him the clues encouraged him to go on she would have been the one going oh do you hear that danger no stay stay away so all she could do was submit all her consciousness could do was submit that code which then you right. know, unfortunately drove uh the high metallurgist i guess insane right so I'm sorry I'm stuffling so much, you guys. Like, I can barely breathe. It's just, ugh. It's just awful here. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Mucinex nasal spray. Highly recommended. It's the only thing keeping me out of my winter allergies right now. Um, So, but at the end there... So first off, let's discuss, and we'll talk more about Trazen's end of this in a minute. As they leave the vault, and they're like, so we're never going to return here ever. Right. Orokin maybe did a little bit. The fact that he returns for Vishani. Mm-hmm. Huh. But I think and, that was just for, I think he wants to somehow resurrect her because she's such a brilliant mind. Right. 
What's the end goal with that, though? Is it because, like, my take on it was that Oregon clearly, like, I don't know if Necrons can actually feel this, but, like, he kind of had a crush on her, I think. I think he just epitomizes her. That, she's, that could be. You know, someone he looks up to as this, you know, great right. mind and uh, would want to have this person, you know, to, to, to discuss, you know, what really happened back with Nefreth, you know, and piecing the puzzles of the Necrons future today. I think that's his end goal. Right. And I think he definitely, I think it was kind of a symptom of his loneliness. Like he seemed to have a crush on her, but it could have just been that he was so happy that he had a friend. Or someone, honestly, <laughs> someone that he believed was an equal to him. And he and Trazen would actually, they would get to that point where they'd be like, you know, we really see how we're the same just in two different different ways you know like for example when Trazen um was kind of cracking the code about there was that song of serenade and he'd been delve, delving into it which is when they ha how they find the code and uh Oregon's right. like shocked he's like that was really good work which came off as such so condescending but I think it was Oregon just like oh my god this guy is not what I thought he was this whole time right this like huh oh oh you are smarter than i give you credit for right and i think so so crushed at the end of the book not being friends it was like you guys walked off arm in arm under the sunset at least they waited like a thousand so, years before you know okay to be fair drink paul um that's that's very true i guess like maybe i mean that's just gonna be their new destiny they're bffs for like a thousand years and then they hate each other for a thousand years um Okay, look. So, Vishani aside, we have to talk about the implication of Trazen's new pet. First off, I love that in the midst of this battle against a Catan shard, sorry, not just a Catan shard, Several. multiple Catan shards with gene stealers and orcs and Eldari and Imperial Guard and Orican and all of this stuff going oh on, my. a literal fight for the death. Trayson still has the presence of mind to be like, oh, I'm just not going to mention this one shard and I'm going to keep it just in case. Because that's going to go well. Not surprising at all. Uh, yeah, when he talks about how he's feeding it and he's like, yeah, this is going to be a problem eventually because it's going to get too strong and get out of here. That's okay, though. I need information from it. Actually, that part, I was like, that's future Trayson's problem. <laughs> that's exactly the comment that I made, too. I was like, well, that's like 4,000 years from now, Trazen's problem. And the but future so. Trazen's going to be like, damn you, past Trazen! What was I thinking? Um, can... <laughs> Which, like, you know, winning. for the two of them, with their little pet projects here, to get what? More knowledge. We have seen this theme before. Magnus says hi. Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that was, there was the original in the Warhammer universe, and then we can go on. Any, how many other times people have to continue to seek that knowledge, and it always betrays them in the end. Always. Trazen's at least going into it eyes open, knowing that it's going to be a problem. But again, that's so did Magnus. Problem. So did Mag. Like he knew. Kind of. He. I mean. You know, he knew what he was doing was not what his father wanted, but he was letting him believe he had it. He was 
telling himself he had it under control. And I see that's what trade is in his doing. You know, yeah, this could be a problem, but I can get this under control for now. I mean, like, he did kill a bunch of them. But, like, let's talk about the implications of this really quickly and how very interesting this is. Because now, the Nightbringer, we know there's a Nightbringer shard out, thanks to the Ultramarines. Way to go, Uriel. Uh, well, no. I mean, to be fair... Eh, you know, so right. we got that one, but we got Belisarius, Belisarius called this shard. one out. Was that just and one now, shard, or was that... I think that was one? just the one shard okay. that he lets out. And now we have this one that technically is contained for now, but we're just going to go ahead and call it soft contained. Um, yeah, it's... He's feeding it, you guys. It's like a mogwai. You don't feed it after midnight, and you don't get it wet. So, like, mogwais and Catan, they're basically the same thing. But that's... I mean, I can't interesting. And I find it very interesting that we have two books within a year of each other. Actually, almost exactly a year of each other. Because I think the great work came out in December last year. Mm. Where Catan, on the loose. But, why on earth does Trazen want to go into the rift? I, I think to go... Can I discuss... For a second, how disappointed I was when the Catan was like, oh, you want to close it? No, I want to go into it. Of course you do. Because, I mean, the Catan, apparently the Catan knows how to close it. But we can't close it because, again, Games Workshop's got toys to sell. So we we can't close it. book's going to sell a ton of Necrons, by the way. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, it will. More Um, than Indomitus. I think that's why he wants to go into it because one, he wants that knowledge. He wants to see what's in there. I mean, nothing's going to kill him. So why not go take a trip to the warp? It's like the beach trip. Sure. And I think he wants to go collecting. Maybe go collect some of the Legion of the Damned that he's heard so much about. Or Can you imagine? You know what would be great is if he collected Abaddon. <laughs> that that would be... Such a wonderfully fitting end for Abaddon. Or not even collecting Abaddon, but maybe just taking Horus's gauntlet. <laughs> like, this isn't fitting for you children to have, so I will just keep it. Yes, that would actually be quite lovely. I would <laughs> laugh very hard about that. But And then he gives it to Clone Grimm. Okay, you guys, I really wanted Clone Grimm to make an appearance in this book. I was, I was a little disappointed he didn't. And then he probably would have been killed, and I would have been sad. Well, that could have been. Could you imagine if he launched Clone Grimm at the Catan? Also, we don't know exactly when in the Imperium this takes place. Either. Well, this this book we do because we do? the Great Awakening the Great Awakening is happening like now. So thirty thousand years that was taking like the beginning of this book is around like thirty k, okay. and then it progresses through there. Clone Grim, I think we decided, is around 35 or 36k, somewhere between like 34 right. and 36k. So, so, so Trazen would have him in his collection. He would have Clone Grim right now, which, given that we read that book, I do like the idea that, oh yeah, Trazen's been off having his own little adventures this whole time as well. Oricon, too. I just feel like nothing good comes from Trazen going into the rift. Oh no. 
nothing good will come of that. But again, it goes back to the whole thing with hubris and that thirst for knowledge. Pretty much. And with Orican, it's going the other direction with his thirst of knowledge. I mean, they're both thirsting knowledge. They're just doing it in two totally different directions, and it's not going to end well for either one of them. Oh, totally agreed. And I just feel as though, so Orican being fixated on going and getting revenge on Trazen, that's one thing, but it's just interesting to me because Trazen is the one who comes to Belisarius call and is basically like, yeah, I can tell you how to activate all this Blackstone stuff and we can shrink the eye of terror a little bit. And then the rift opens up and his first thought is, I want to go in there. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Bold move, Cotton. See how it plays out for him. I, that to me, I can't even imagine what he wants to do in there, but I am totally on board to see. Yeah. I'm going to imagine that's going to be Robert Rath's next book. That'd be amazing. I Again, I'm totally day one purchase. And I hope that Orkin's so, part of that too, somehow. Me too. Oh my gosh. I... That was probably one of my biggest takeaways from this book is when I got to the end, I was like, I cannot wait to see what these two do next. Because they really were like mischief and mayhem, like a double act. Yeah. Like, yes. Especially when they reveal, like when Orokin reveals that, oh yeah, um, the reason the orcs came to this planet was kind of because I messed up. And then when they reveal that the reason that they have to exterminate us this planet is because Trazen put a lictor on the planet to mess with Orokin, not to kill him, as he clearly states when he's like, well, if I wanted to kill you, I would have put, like, multiples of them. I have tons. And the fact that he's like, yeah, I did not think that one of them was going to start an entire cult. <laughs> so the first time that they amazing. watched that play that they go and see at the end when the Gene Steelers come out, the first time they watched it years before then, talk about the third arm i was like this is some gene stealer shit going on this is not i'm pretending not to have this arm i have a robotic arm like no this is some gene stealer crap going on it's like well, well, as soon as they're just well as soon as they were called describing the lictor my husband and i were both like well that's a lictor right and then when they show metallurgist uh Quaka, we were like that's not a lictor though that's not what attacked him and then sure enough that was a nice payoff when all of a sudden we were like we knew it was a lictor. Or a patriarch now as it is. Right. So, but like, the law of unintended consequences is in effect. So, now when we look at this book compared to the great work, again, we now have very active Catan. How well, does this further shape the universe and what happens next? Well, I mean, why don't we ask about Nightbringer? Was Nightbringer done lately? Nothing. Uh, that makes sense, though. In hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. And I think this book actually explained that a lot better. Because, like, when they talk about, like, in the beginning, when Orokin is trying to learn how to get into that energy state, and he's like, oh, yeah, it took, like, 300 years for me to figure it out. But then I figured it out, and that's great. People, time is meaningless to them. Right. It, And I would imagine to the Catan... Even more so. Right? Like, 10,000 years. And it's only been like a thousand years since, not even a thousand, it's only been a few hundred since Uriel released that. Mm. So, 
that actually made me feel a lot better about that situation because I was like, oh yeah, these guys waste like a hundred years reading a book. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sure the Gatan are probably just as bad. They pause that. in a conversation for two hours and it doesn't really mean anything. That is another hysterical scene. Like, there was a pause. It lasted one hour. And then he makes a comment. There was another pause. It lasted two hours. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine just like having a conversation and just staring at each other? For, for an, an hour. hour? No. No, I'd get so bored of it after like five minutes. He'd be like, anyways, we're not going to solve this problem. <laughs> like, moving on. I would, yeah, no. But again, time means nothing. And you've been around for 65 million years, and the Catan have been around even longer than that. Yeah, I, I really did enjoy that number. 65 million years. Yeah. The idea, I, I forget how ancient they are. Well, just, you know, in Earth's history. What happened 65 million years ago? Well, we had the dinosaurs. So it's just, you know interesting i just love that just kept throwing out that number well we you know 65 million years ago like wow you guys still remember i guess you guys have nothing to do but remember well right and when your brain is now partially machined so you can record everything mm -hmm. right it's interesting speaking of that this book i feel like despite being entirely a story about two bffs we learned so much more about the Necrons in this book than I think any other book that we've read. What surprised you or stood out to you the most? I don't really... I don't know. Um... I think the council was the biggest thing to me. When they talk about how they're like, look, we have rules. We have this entire council that's ruling in our absence, and you do not start dynastic wars without approval, right? And when they start sitting there going through all of these things, and like, we are a civilized people. Because I think, like in the Indomitus book, they really... They well, were Indomitus really book, we got some infighting in with the dynasty going on. I think that was the big thing there. Whereas, but they felt more like robot Eldari. Or like, like, we're and just the, petty right. and we scheme. And that could have been just that dynasty, you know? Right. And it he, could have been that. Because they totally. talk about the dynasties having, you know, obviously different, very different uh, personalities and cultures on their own. So that was just within one dynasty versus we have these two guys who are like the heads pretty much of their own dynasties. who are Overlords. Yeah, I mean, but they're just, they're, I love it when the executioner calls them children that need a babysitter because it's so true. They're oh, it's such so true. children. But I loved the idea that there were rules. Like, look, we, we set in place this stuff and we are a civilized people. We're not just, we're not just these mindless automaton robots, right? Like, really, this book made them feel more like the Tomb Kings to make a Warhammer fantasy reference than anything else, which is what they're supposed to be. They are the Warhammer 40k equivalent of the Tomb Kings. And so I really loved that. Like I loved when they talked about how there's rules about this and you have to deal with the council for this and you can't just start fighting each other until of course the great awakening when then they're like, yeah, like 
everything's messed up. This person's dead. These people dissolved the council. Like, oh yeah, I loved it when interesting. the when the executioner came in for a visit. They're like, oh, we discovered all this stuff. She's like, yeah, um, let me catch you up. <laughs> the yeah. last few thousand years, things have happened. Oh, I loved that. I thought yeah. that was so great. Just this nice little turn where you're like, oh, apparently <laughs> like, all this peace and stuff was just because we were all sleeping. As soon as we all woke I, up, we realized we hated each other. Hey! Right. <laughs> We're all awake. Game on. Right? Uh, <laughs> pretty much. Um, I also found it... They talked a little bit about this Indominus, but they really delved into this more. About how a lot of these people, biotransference was not kind to them. And the slumber was not kind to them. Mm -hmm. Because... You always kind of wondered, right? Like, if you could imagine if our world today, we all went under biotransference, right? You would still have, like, the rulers and the leaders and then the peons. But can you imagine, like, if every individual one of us was, like, supposed to be fighting for something? It explained a lot more how they can kind of have these semi-mindless troops going when they talk about, like, yeah, people just woke up sometimes and their brains were a little frazzled. Mm-hmm. So I think it was this interesting dichotomy between, yeah, some of us are just kind of mindless automatons and others of us are definitely not. Right. Which you saw like a little bit in Indomitus, but I think the big problem with Indomitus was that, I mean, you had all this petty infighting going on over, I'm right. in charge. Actually, I'm here because this person, I'm spying. So you're really mm -hmm. not really in charge. I'm in charge. And and I think we do see some of that between the two of them because they're they're just as petty as all of as all of them. Just they just right. also weren't For fighting, sure. you know, ultramarines on the side. <laughs> right. To be fair, um, but ultramarines are like, yeah, um, we're not that petty, so we'll just take care of you now. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I liked the idea, though. I liked the idea that they this really fleshed them out, like, without taking too much of a dip into it, right? Like, he didn't all of a sudden be like, now let me explain to you how Necron society works. It was very much a good example of showing and not telling, necessarily, unless <laughs> it was plot so. relevant. Right, right. In which case, then, like, I did, like, but all of a sudden they talked about, like, how well, there are rules about how you can't fight one another. I was like, okay. And then the next scene when they're in the trial, aha, now this makes more sense. I loved, yeah, there's just a lot of little things in there that I was like, that's actually very interesting. And this makes me more interested in the Necrons. Um, mostly I really found it interesting how much they're still kind of struggling with biotransference. It's been 65 million, million years. years. And, it's and they're still... And it's it's interesting because, you know, even Trazen goes back and forth on it. You know, how he would like to go back, but at the same time, he wouldn't have all this knowledge without it. He, like to, he wants his cake and he wants to eat it too. Yeah. He wants to feel. He wants to eat. He wants to do all of I those think, things, but he still wants to live forever. I think he also, he feels like he didn't have much of a choice in it. And right. it really made me sad. When Vish Vishani, doing air quotes for the podcast people, showed Orokin a different past to make Orokin think that Trazen was dragging him to the biotransference. Um, well, it 
kind of implies that that might have been true. Because remember, he tells Trazen, he's like, you were all too willing to get rid of your hunched back. Like, I mean, he sits there and pretty much tells him, like, yeah, you weren't be fighting this at all at the time. Right, but it doesn't. But I think that Vishani changed it so that it was Trazen dragging him. I don't think that actually happened because Trazen just—I don't think so. He's shocked. He's like, "I'm, I'm so sorry." And for him to apologize, and it was a genuine apology. It was a genuine apology, and I liked that it took Oric in a back. Yeah, when he was like, "Oh," like he—he didn't—he didn't know how to reconcile that. Mm-hmm. And I liked the idea that Trazen was like no I fought this just as hard as you did no actually you didn't and he's like oh sorry like I, I, I didn't know right and when the deceiver says it to him like you know you weren't fighting this you wanted this <laughs> okay I mean it makes sense yeah, right I, and- honestly I think deep down they can say that they don't want it all that they want, but at the same time, they've lived for 65 million years and they've accomplished a lot and they've learned so much. So, okay, so they want flesh again. They want to be able to touch and all those things. But you can't tell me that you didn't understand this was part of the process. Like, yes, you get to live forever. Never said that you got to keep everything with it because the flesh deteriorates over time it's not meant to keep on going because things just short out like machines in a way just kind of shorts out so whenever they talk about you know do i believe that they were pissed when they realized really what it was and they went out to kill them absolutely you know you're going back to adam and eve about eating the app you know not the apple but the fruit fruit from the garden of eden that was not what they had in mind that was not what they bargained for it's the same thing in a way and so but they can still say all they want oh we don't want this maybe this is not what you expected but you guys aren't fighting it too hard i think you guys just like to be like oh we're so angry because why not okay fist um i would agree with that and i think we got to see the character that i kind of knock indomitus quite a bit because i didn't enjoy that book as much however there was that one character, the destroyer guy, who talks about how his grief at having lost his wife and yeah. his children and what everything that biotransference took from him, it drives him insane and he becomes a destroyer, mm-hmm. right? So I actually thought about him a lot too with Oregon and Trazen both being like, biotransference sucks. And I'm like, though, like you're both reaping the benefits or at least you've both adjusted pretty well to it so i wonder if it's just one of those things where it's just that old chestnut right of right. we've made deal with we've made do with this we've come to terms with it. we we use all these benefits but as you said like curse those Catan. anyways like you know right. it's just one of those you things know, that everybody kind of curses about. i actually thought about thought about that destroyer as as well it's like as much as they complained about it it's like but you guys didn't lose your wife and children because it didn't work for them and it ended up what killed the kids and then made her go insane to where she killed herself could be worse guys could could be worse I i think they both know that like the way that they talked about like the destroyers and they talked about some of the other people 
I think they both have a pretty healthy recognition that we actually have it pretty good here. We're overlords. You know, the they were I, definitely the haves I think whining about may, their haves Maybe problems. they have some level of that, but I, I think they're so arrogant. You know, just the typical, we're the upper echelon. We just, it's not perfect for us. This is not how we want it. You know, like there's that right. far side comic of the cows in this wealthy mansion and the cows like drinking her wine and she's got all these jewels over and she's like, Harold, I'm not content. That's kind of what these guys sound like to me. Yeah, sometimes I think so. And again, I think it was probably just maybe force of habit. Like, there were times where they were griping about biotransference, where I was like, I don't even feel like your heart's in that complaint right now. It's just something (laughs) you guys have been saying it for 65 million years. Pretty much. Harold, I'm not content. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. I know exactly that far side. But, yeah, and I think... I loved it, though, because it was so interesting to see those pieces. I feel like I feel as though this book really fleshed them out very well. While also making Trazen and Oregon just these two badass miscreants of history. Mm-hmm. I, again, I walked away so stunned at how much I enjoyed this book. Not just because the characters were awesome, but because it was hysterical. Yeah. Somebody picked up the banner from Caiaphas Kane, and it was very well written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm great. definitely looking forward to the next Robert Rath book. And um, I'm really glad that we read this book right now because it was laugh out loud hysterical. Because what? our next book. You don't think the next book will be laugh out loud hysterical? Come on. Darkness it's... and the Blood by Guy Haley. It's blood angels. They're a laugh a minute. I'm sorry, who? The Blood Angels. Who? Oh, I'm sorry. It's the Euro Trash Space Vampires. Oh, yes! yes. The Euro Trash Space Vampires. Can't wait. They're hilarious. Mephiston, he's hysterical. And Dante, he tells so many jokes. It's just no, joke, he does joke, not. Joke, that joke, is joke, a joke. lie. <laughs> um... So, as a bit of a spoiler alert, hey, you guys. Whenever he I hands this... over a chalice, he tells a joke. So, chal- <laughs> so many chalices and vitae. Chalices and vitae. I should drink red wine for that one. Oh, we're going to. Duh. I have a, bo- I have a bottle of Tyrannosaurus Red in the fridge, specifically for when we talk about this book. Um, I won't name names but it dawned on me today that i was like oh we're reading this and then another dark angel or blood angels book and then another blood angels book deliver me from this euro trash space vampires i think i'm gonna come to the end of this with stockholm syndrome where i'm gonna be like well you guys we're gonna break up the blood angels with the reverie more angels resplendent darling that's in the Blood Angels family. Oh no, they might it's think they are Blood Angels. They might think they are. Oh no, <laughs> no. So we'll have Euro Trash Space Vampires and like Near Dark eighties movies references. Near Dark Vampires. <laughs> I hey, I try to think. Do these guys? Sparkle? No, they definitely don't sparkle. Okay, well, the angels Near were splendid. Dark do not spike or sparkle. No, the, the angels were splendid. Used to sparkle. 
Oh, Jesus. But then they became the angels penitent. So, so now they're like the Bram Stoker's Dracula with Keanu Reeves. Oh. Okay. By the way, really quickly, we went and saw that movie a few years ago because a local, the Alamo Draft House was playing it. And we were like, that movie was good, right? Because none of us had seen it since we were teenagers. And the whole time we were just laughing so hard. And we got to the end of the movie and we were like, well, that was definitely a movie that was on film mm-hmm. with characters. Yes. And stuff. Although, hysterically enough, speaking of that, Mephiston's armor looks like Gary Oldman's armor from that movie. Seriously, look up the <laughs> images it of it. Does. It totally looks like it. Oh, and man. Whoever did the artwork for this, I appreciate that they took the time to put Mephiston's nipples on the cover. Well, don't you also like the syringes hanging from his belt? Because so unsanitary. (laughs) Well, he is a vampire. What does he care? They're snacks, Jen. They're snacks. I just imagine them being like Scooby snacks. (laughs) Hey, Dante, let's go take on the Tyranids. No. Would you do it for a blood angel snack? Squeak, squeak. (laughs) No. Would you do it for two... (laughs) <laughs> syringes and then of course he's like okay and they go take out the tyranids oh he has to take anyway. off his mask first oh they can just pump it into the mask oh this open it's a syringe it's a syringe it's like a straw well, actually Anyways. the mouth is constantly open because exactly it's, it's he's constantly like in his death throes because that's uplifting they're drama and tragedy. Okay, these people have more drama than a telenovela. Than a Gasp what novella? A telenovela. You know, the Spanish soap operas. Oh, okay. Oh, God. You want to talk about drama? That's like <laughs> one of my favorite gifts of all time is gasps in Spanish. Anyways, we have taken this way <laughs> off the rails. Do you want to take us out, Carrie? I don't know if I can. Before we go read the darkness and the blood. Well, but... This is actually we're not reading we're not actually going to discuss it till 2021. So that's true. I got because our time. next podcast is our awards. That's right, our award show. So you, I'm actually going to read before I read "Darkness in the Blood." Sons of the Hydra. I'm doing it. Oh, I'm actually, actually doing it. I'm going to read the Blackstone Fortress before then. So there we go. See, we got goals. Maybe one of our Patreon episodes will be what we read over our Christmas vacation. Shameless plug. Yeah, I think that we'll do that because I'm running out of ideas. <laughs> Sorry. That's, it's, not, it's not true, but anyway. So thank you for listening to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding the infinite and the divine by Robert Rath. Be sure to join us for our next book, Darkness and the Blood by Guy Haley. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, give a review and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. 
Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from McCrag. And remember, I am Alfarious. I don't, I don't have anything cool to say like that. Get, other than but get you some, some chartreuse. You can't even see it now. I gotta clean up the stamp room. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>